Josh, what check is that? this out. What'd you do? Man, I was practicing my road cycling today. Took a curb a little too fast. Didn't see the sand. Slipped out. Got road rash all over the place. Bro, the devil's after you. So here's the thing. I want an explanation for this. <laughs> Why did this happen to me? Why me? Why do bad things happen? Dude, that's a great question. Did the devil do it? How do we understand spiritual warfare and the realities of good and evil out there for Christians? Yeah, that's a big deal. I think that's something we should talk about. Let's do it. Welcome everybody to Kingdom Thinking. Today we're going to address the topic of spiritual warfare and how to understand the supernatural good and evil realities that the Bible talks about and how to know uh is the devil out there doing stuff? Um, are we being attacked personally? Are there demons that have specific tasks mm. to distract us? Do bad things like accidents and, and mayhem, does, is that the devil's work? How do we understand all that? It's like screw tapes letters, man. It it's, really is. Yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about that. Christian spiritual warfare. What are some of these spiritual realities and what do they look like? Yeah. So we're going to start off of here with a, a verse in Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That sounds really, really serious. Yeah. It sounds super intense. So what does that actually mean? Dude, that's a really good question. Uh, so I think one of the things that we see is like, there's this real, so Satan, as he's understood in the new Testament is not like an old Testament concept, right? Like you have the tempter, you have the accuser and Job, and then like the garden kind of there, but it's not in the same necessarily the same Satan that we understand in the new Testament. And so it's, I've always kind of struggled with this personally, right? And as somebody like I did a lot of work on the intertestamental period, right? In some of my graduate work. And it was like, you kind of have this development of this Satan figure and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, in the New Testament, there's like demonic possession. There's this idea of like the legion of the 5,000. Mm. And so it's like uh, not a uniquely New Testament concept only. And oftentimes Christians will read, you know, Satan back into the Old Testament. And that's, you know, fine. I don't have a problem with that. But like, this is a hard thing to figure out because if Satan is this like not all knowing, but this very pervasive figure that we see in the New Testament and Paul writes about obviously quite a bit, it's like, yeah there's a real foe here. Like there's a real conversation to be had mm -hmm. about how those things present and what it looks like and how, you know, and, and what it isn't, especially yeah. in learning to be able to contrast between those two things. Exactly. is really hard to do. And I think that's specifically important or specifically uh, poignant because of the sharp contrast to our kind of de facto cultural dispositions, yes. right? Where we are um, a pragmatic science first, show me the money, we are the children of empiricism, right? Uh, meaning everything. How do we sell things? We put people in lab coats to do it. Yeah, right. Yep. Because that's exactly it, right. It suggests authority. Yep. It suggests um, evidence. It suggests things that we can see, yeah. prove, and test. Right. Yep. So, I think this is pretty much uh, fundamental in every aspect of our society. The things that we trust are the things that we can see evidence for, yeah, right? things that are verifiable exactly. with the empirical method. So even as Christians, I think it's challenging to be able to think spiritual warfare. What? Like there's a reality of 
battle of like the way that this is described right it's almost it's almost like that scene in uh, avengers endgame where the armies are spoilers clashing, spoilers right Spoil- yeah 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 <laughs> um so at first glance this passage seems to be suggesting that that's actually happening right. uh, beyond our senses maybe beyond what we can see mm-hmm. at least is immediately obvious and what does that actually mean i think it's it's poignant as 21st century christians now one of the emphases that I want to talk about today is how do we discern or how do we understand this in contrast or by trying to answer the question, what does it mean for something to be satanic? Right. What does it mean for something to be influenced or wielding uh, a consequence or an effect from the devil himself? So... Uh, I read, I came across this really interesting article in a, in a magazine, it's called Hook Mag, and it was specifically talking about the younger, newer generations who are giving up on religion and moving to the, or turning to the church of Satan. So this is kind of interesting, right? logical outworking. <laughs> right. So um, at first I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute. I, yeah. I don't understand. What, what, how do you go right, right. from, oh, I don't like religion. I don't like organized authority, whatever. I'm going to go to the church of saint i didn't understand i didn't connect the dots at first right now what was really interesting about this there's three things one uh, it said that satanism is essentially a set of beliefs and ideas centered around this character satan which literally just means adversary Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for the purpose of standing up to organized religion so the first thing that struck me is it isn't so much of a um proactive initiative it rather seems to be a stand against Mm -hmm. um a rather than the positive towards something it's a negative right that so that's interesting to me Mm -hmm. it's primary characteristics are opposition to organized authority of religion yeah that's interesting okay second this isn't necessarily um an organized group that goes around sacrificing animals drinking blood uh, participating in dark rituals, things like that. Right. That's not necessarily what's going on with this. Rather, um, it's a group focused on freeing the individual from the rule of theism or belief in God, uh, the authority of religion, so that the individual can regain control and pleasure over his or her own life. So it's essentially what this struck me as is it's uh, organized hedonism. Sure. It's a... a a perspective where if it feels good, it must be good, and no one has the right to tell me that it's not. Right, right. Um, so now, granted, there are, of course, cases where there probably are cults, organized groups that are interested perhaps in sacrifices or drinking sure, blood or yeah. rituals and all that stuff exists for sure. But it's interesting to me that one of the character- characteristics of the Church of Satan um isn't actually all that interested in those things. Yeah, I mean, even our Western antithetical religious groups are still probably understanding Satan to be like a mythical figure, right? Correct. Right, like still Correct. even analogizing him. So these are functionally or allegorizing. Uh, atheists yeah. or agnostics. Yeah, yeah. Not really concerned with trying to explain how the world works uh, from a metaphysical perspective. Yep. Rather, they're just interested in saying, we're rejecting the authority of God through your religion, mm-hmm. um, and we're we're choosing another authority, that authority being ourselves. Um, so that's interesting. Right. Now, my question would be, does 
does this show ignorance or naivete in, in the sense that just because you don't intend for something to have a spiritual consequence, does that mean that there actually is no spiritual consequence? Right. Again, right. The, the question being, how could we actually discern what are some of these spiritual realities? So if, if there's somebody in the church of Satan and they're doing all these things, they're like, oh, I'm just, I'm an atheist. I don't believe any of that's true. Right. Well, is that actually the case? Yeah, I mean, from where we sit, right, the conversation is going to shift to, uh, if you go back up to that Ephesians 6 concept, this battle is waging whether or not you're aware of it. Correct. Right? And, and so your necess- your um, acknowledgement of it is not necessary right, right. for it to be a real thing. Exactly. And, and so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a phrase that I really like. It's a little bit overused, it's a little bit trite, right? But the idea is like the devil's greatest thing was convincing people that he didn't exist hmm. right the devil's greatest trick and, and so the notion here i think that might be a quote from a movie uh anyway not very theological but you know the, the point remains where it's this idea is like if we can kind of be lulled to not paying attention to these mm-hmm. things there i think it makes it you know as a christian i do very much believe in spiritual warfare and it's like if we don't pay attention to this stuff i think we can kind of get caught uh in a pretty bad way right there. And whether or not we acknowledge that, Correct. I don't think it is important. And that's on both sides, yeah, right? Both certainly. as Christians yep. who are, we can be susceptible to functionally being materialists, mm-hmm. thinking like, well, what I can see, what I can touch, that's what's real. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I don't really need to be preoccupied mm-hmm. with that which is immaterial, right. which, which is naive as well, right? So I found interesting that in different Christian groups or different Christian traditions, there seem to be uh, three different responses right. or three different views of spiritual warfare. The first one is going to be what I'm calling the, a charismatic perspective or a Pentecostal perspective, or even if you want to go further back, something like a, a Wesleyan or Methodist yeah. uh, perspective. This perspective is um, that something like Ephesians 6, talking about spiritual warfare, is talking about a fight against demonic forces that in many ways is tangible, that there is concrete uh, evidence for the reality of these spiritual forces Mm -hmm. waging war and waging consequences on human life, and that Christians should be in tune and um, even aggressive or proactive in being part of that. Yep. So, for example, uh, this perspective on Christian growth or Christian maturity is that the Christian process and struggle for growth in Christ involves discerning and praying against actual demonic beings that sometimes are specifically sent to distract and harm Christians from their walk with Christ. So have you ever heard something like the spirit of Uh apathy, uh, the spirit of gossip? Yeah. yeah. And um, so this comes from a view that believes that Demonic forces can actually be specifically tasked. Yeah, certainly. To distract Christians, and um, and that's kind of where my comment came from, right? Like, did the devil make me fall? Yeah. And then you know I was being a little facetious with that, but the question being, to what degree are these forces or beings actually influencing yeah. our real world? So from this charismatic perspective, they would say, very much so. Yeah. They're very much involved right, right. in the real daily life. Um, and so another part of this view is that Christians can actually get to a level of growth that's called perfect sanctification, Mm -hmm. which means that Christians can 
through discernment, prayer, and being attentive to the spiritual disciplines, they can reach a, a level of maturity where they are no longer influenced or under the power of, of these sinful behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so that is to be sought out continuously. What are your thoughts on that, on this perspective? Yeah, so I struggle with this one. I mean, I, I, so I'll put my cards on the table ahead of time. I do think that spiritual warfare is quite a real thing, right? I've had like some experiences with this stuff that is pretty, um, like tangible. Real, yeah, yeah, for me in my own life. Uh, and so these things are very real to me. Uh, and I don't quite know how to, uh, you know, jockey for that in some type of scientifically verifiable way, right? It's, it's purely an experiential type thing. And so I'm very careful, right, in terms of how I lay this out. Uh, but I get a little bit weary when we begin to attribute uh, much or most of the things to demonic forces and activity because I think what it has a propensity to do is uh, overlook just our flesh, right, and just kind of the carnal reality of our sin nature as mm. human beings. And so, uh, you know, the spirit of gossip or the spirit of lust or, or whatever it is that might right. be, it's like Paul in Romans 7 is pretty clear, like, hey, man, it's like, I'm broken. I'm a fallen human being. I do things I don't want to do. I don't do things I do want to do. Right. And so there is an element of our fleshly nature that we just have to battle. And so it's kind of hard for me to figure out always like which thing is like mm. maybe a temptation or what's, you know, some type of like satanic experience right. or attack. And then like, what's my flesh. Right. right. And, and so things that are beyond my ability to explain, uh, you know, would, I would be less likely to attribute just simply to a flesh thing. But if it's like, oh, I'm really struggling with gossip, it's the spirit of gossip. It's like, nah, no, you probably just have a problem like gossiping, right? And so <laughs> I, I tend to like, I don't want to over yeah. uh, emphasize this stuff. And a lot of that comes from, you know, being a 21st century Correct. enlightenment white guy. Like, right, just, exactly. You're the product of rationalism. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So I, what I'm hearing you say is this could push to its limit. Uh, in some ways, um, kind of re take away responsibility and accountability. Yes, a hundred percent. Yes. So if the devil made me do it, that means I'm not actually responsible. Well, you've always got someone to shift blame to, as opposed to having real, honest, and hard conversations with yourself about growth. Yeah. Right? I think yeah. So this probably has limitations mm -hmm. in its depth for spiritual growth. Um, if it's not able to move beyond, it's all a spiritual realm and saying, well, well, no, no, hold on. What about your character? Right. What about your disciplines? Mm -hmm. What about your mind and the way that your thought processes have been habituated towards some of these actions? Right. What Precisely. About that? Precisely. Um, and so uh, I think we need not pit the natural against the supernatural. Right. right? However, if this is so heavy, heavily leaning on the supernatural forces, it could... Um, kind of uh, with well, just absorbs you of a responsibility correct correct okay so that's one view another view which is what you were kind of expressing is um, what I'm categorizing as more of a reformed view sure more of a traditional Protestant view um, that the fight against uh, spiritual realities is centered on the Christian process of walking with the spirit or the fight against the flesh mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so there's this passage in James chapter 1 Starting in verse 1, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then it, a few verses later in verse 13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But, and this is the 
significant part. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. Mm -hmm. So I think this is kind of an illustration for a traditional Protestant perspective or emphasis. I can probably think of the last, I don't know, hundred sermons that I've listened to in Sunday church, and they're usually an exhortation to recognize and do something about my character. Yeah. It's very introspective. Um, it's full-fledged take responsibility yeah. and walk by the Spirit, walk with the Spirit, not necessarily legalism or not right. necessarily right. moralism. That right. We're somehow producing the character of Christ in ourselves. It's not necessarily that. It's that take note, be responsible for your the condition of your character, mm -hmm. and therefore seek grace uh, of the Spirit to be grown mm -hmm. in those areas. Mm -hmm. So in this perspective, the goal of Christian spiritual warfare is by and large for the truth of God's justification, meaning, meaning that God declares us to be righteous, for that to deepen and manifest itself in our sanctification, right. meaning that that righteousness would actually bear fruit right. in our lives, meaning uh, that we would become what God says that we will be. Right. The primary adversary although it is a, a person identified, uh, it's also a person who's wielding influence on us, mm -hmm. on our motives, on our actions, on our desires. So take note of, of that. It's a very introspective. If, if the charismatic perspective is very kind of external, this is very internal. Mm -hmm. uh, the weakness and susceptibility to give in to an old pattern of thought or an old pattern of behavior, that's where spiritual warfare yeah. is being waged primarily in this perspective so this sounds a lot like what you were expressing what do you think are some strengths and weaknesses of this yeah i so i probably tend to start here first right because it's an area that i can identify and control right and so the important part of that to me is i want to as an individual do my best to seek uh god's will correction and direction for my spiritual development uh, over and against supernatural things that I can't explain mm -hmm. or I don't know for sure, right? Okay. So to me, this feels like just starting at home, right? And, and so I can identify, what I like about this is like, I can identify myself. You know, if I'm very honest with myself, I know the parts that are weak, where I need work, where I need help, where I need guardrails, all those things. There, And so this to me seems like a good starting place. However, if it's the place where you leave, or leave off or kind of end up, uh, it feels a little short-sighted because I do think that there's, you know, when we look at the whole testimony of Scripture, right, there is a lot of mention of spiritual warfare in uh, that are external things beyond our control as mm -hmm. human beings in the New Testament that I don't feel comfortable ignoring or even yeah. uh, putting as a secondary or tertiary kind of conversation. So I think there's a compatibilism that these things can share with each other, but I always think it's probably best for us to begin here particularly in the West, because we are so individually focused and minded. And as we, you know, products of the enlightenment, all those things, like this is probably the easiest place to begin because it holds us accountable for the things for which we need to be held accountable. And then we can move beyond that for, you know, things that are beyond us. Okay. What are some limitations do you think of this? If we stay here and, and so staying here, like never yeah. giving credence, never giving, you know, potentiality for like demonic stuff, never opening right. ourselves to that part of the conversation. Yeah. I think you're ignoring the whole witness of scripture. Okay, good, good. I think about like the pitting between something like mental health right. and um, 
spiritual warfare, uh-huh. right? And uh-huh. so privileging one over the other seems to be kind of drawing this line that need not be drawn. Yeah, because it could be both. I think people should go to therapy. People yeah. should explore why their thought patterns lead to their behaviors. And at the same time, acknowledge that there could be metaphysical supernatural realities at play as well. Correct. Greg Boyd has a great stance on this, right? He says you pray in, in the physical and in the spiritual mm. and this. So Greg Boyd is a well-known pastor right from back east in Minnesota. Okay. And uh, he is big on spiritual warfare, probably closer to the charismatic side as mm. you've labeled him more so than the reformed. But the idea here is like, if you have a headache, you take a Tylenol. And you can also pray that if there is something bigger in the spiritual realm, like affecting you, yeah. that God removes that and stops it. Yeah. But if it's the Tylenol, good. Like that's a good thing. And yeah. we shouldn't like necessarily privilege one. These things are meant to right. work together. Right. Good. And then our last perspective is what I'm calling a more fundamentalistic perspective or a more um, kind of 20th century Christian movement mm-hmm. of separatism um, where there started to be more of a withdrawal of Christianity from the social sector. Yep. And this perspective would say that the fight of spiritual warfare is primarily being waged in the systems of the world or yep. the values of the world. So James 4, 4, 8 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So... This passage could serve as an illustration yeah. for rationalizing, wait, we have to be uh, vigilant and not be friends of the world, right? And, and the world in this situation being interpreted as the organizations, the systems, the infrastructures that um, oppose God, mm-hmm. whether that's Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. or whether that's... Um, the Democrats. <laughs> so. um, or... or just any organ like Hollywood, yeah. right? And any any movie um, or production set that isn't Christian, yeah. Like these could could be examples of you see this as spiritual warfare. So if you're reading Harry Potter, or if you play Pokemon, or if you play Yu-Gi-Oh, mm-hmm. uh, you're being negligent of the spiritual realities. Yeah. Like I've heard sermons, dude. Yeah. Against things like Pokemon and yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh. And Can you imagine playing Magic: The Gathering? Oh, dude. Right. Straight to hell. Um, or or music or things like that. Yeah. So. I think the the strengths of this is that there's a recognition yeah. that there are systems in place that have value sets. They're not neutral. Right, right. And what I appreciate about this is it does remind us that there are hills on which we must take stands Correct. as believers, right? There is an element of separatism that we are going to experience from the world because of our lack of willingness to participate yes. in worldly things. How, yes. However, the limitation is it makes it really hard to integrate faith um, with, uh, with the world uh-huh. in this perspective uh-huh. because the— Initial disposition is us versus them. Yeah. So if that's the initial disposition, it's going to be really tough right. to have your faith actually influence and impact the non-believing world. So mm-hmm. that would be a limitation. Right. But as we kind of close here, I want to talk about some pastoral thoughts or how this would impact Christians in churches. My first question would be, what processes or what ideas can we actually em- employ to discern mm-hmm. uh, whether reading certain books or watching certain TV shows yeah. or listening to certain music, is that like a spiritual thing or not? Could that be a satanic influence? If so, like how would we know that? What do you think? Yeah, so I probably tend to take my biggest cues in the discussion of music, right? I think music is probably one of the most um, like influential subconsciously media? influential medias that somebody can consume as a human being, right? Okay. 
because of what it does to the brain, how it impacts you, and right, all these things. I mean, it's so important to what we consume. Correct. And so, uh, right, so Lil Nas X was in uh, the media recently for all of the stuff. Uh, and, and, and so that, to me, is like a problematic thing, right? Like, it's not something that I what want is? to... His whole video, oh, the, video? the whole shtick, the whole desire, right? Uh, it's not something I want to glorify, right? Okay. It's not something I think is okay. It's not something I think we ought to consume as followers of Jesus, right? Now, it doesn't mean that we have to, like try cancel and him. cancel him or destroy him, you know, or whatever, because that was set up to be trolling, right? And those things, but two things can be true at once, right? Like we can look at something and say, this is not okay, right? And the idea of invoking some type of satanic whatever, right, is a thing that we need to, as Christians, at least be aware of in our own community and say, look, this may not be a thing to him, but what we understand Paul to describe Satan as, or what we understand Jesus's victory over Satan to look like, like these things still matter for us in our time and age. And so the idea of using something to determine the, its spiritual significance is we kind of have a built-in methodology for this, right? Paul talks about this in the book of Romans, and the Greek word that he uses for testing or things is called dokimazo, which is like this really intense uh, kind of scrutiny of whatever it is that you're talking about. And as you test this thing seriously and sincerely, if there's anything about it that violates your conscience before the Lord, then you need to not be part of it, right? And that there is some, you know, gray areas for the believers, mm-hmm. right? So this moves us into the conversation of like, can I have a drink of alcohol or whatever, right? And there is some individual, you know, discussion with the spirit there. But the idea here is like, if you can feel something is kind of violating hmm. your conscience a little bit, that should be understood as like, eh, spiritually, there's something wrong with this. Because if the Holy Spirit indwells you, yeah. then it is a spiritual conversation and it is a spiritual warfare conversation, whether it's against your own flesh or some type of principality, right? And, and so the idea with that is like all things are spiritual. All okay. things are, you know, there's, I don't buy this like sacred secular divide as right. much because all of these things move in to us, through us, and out of us. And it's important for us to be able to use our indwelling of the Holy Spirit to determine those things. That's why the Holy Spirit's here. So, okay. So I, I agree with that. However, I want to push back a little bit because it it's ultimately... I think suggestion suggesting that it's a kind of conviction or perhaps individual level kind of discernment. Sure. So what if I'm at a church where my pastor discerns that something like certain movies or um, engaging in certain media is harmful, but I on a personal level don't discern it? How would I proceed then? Do you think what would be some thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all of these things are going to be pretty situationally ethical, right? In terms of these kind of the ethics that you develop around them are going to be situational rather. Uh, and so, if there's something like that, I would invite the individual to truly try and discern why their pastoral shepherd or leader mm-hmm. is, you know, kind of divining that thing in a certain way or experiencing that reality for themselves, and see if that's something that they're okay living under. And if it is something that's a gray area, then you're fine to disagree with that, right? Like. Uh, if, so say we're talking about drinking here, right? So yeah. most pastors I know don't drink because they don't want to do anything that could potentially cause somebody to stumble, right? Most parishioners and churchgoers and evangelical people I know do drink because they don't think it's that big of a deal, right? So there is gray area in that, and so you can be okay to disagree on on these certain things with your pastoral leadership. Hmm. Okay, so, so would you say that the authority of that spiritual discernment should not extend to a kind of like command or demand level? If there's gray area for it in scripture, I don't see why not. Okay. I mean, I don't see why it would need to, per se. Gotcha. Okay. 
And then lastly here, what do you think would be some good parameters or boundaries that could be put in place for discernment like this? Man, uh, I think taking scripture very seriously when it talks about these kinds of things, right? And so when you're invited into messing with spiritual components that mm-hmm. you should, like, shouldn't uh, what be is it, like Ouija board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I, th- I think I probably tend to be a little bit more old school on this kind of stuff, right? Um, and like I've had students in my youth group like make fun of me for, you know, holding these positions. But it's like uh, I just don't want to mess with that stuff, man. Like as somebody who's seen it, experienced it, like walked through mm-hmm. it with people, it's just like – it's just opening a box that I don't think we have any business opening as human beings. And yeah. it's not something I want to be around. So I think the easiest thing to do is probably just draw certain lines and stay away from it, right? So not participating in whatever the occult would be, how it would present itself, not praying to encounter spirits, not, you know, those things to me seem like probably pretty solid places to begin gotcha. the dialogue. Okay, right on. Good stuff, man. What do you guys think? Leave us a comment below, check out our app, let us know did we miss something what are some experiences that you've had that maybe draw you or compel you to one of these three perspectives of spiritual warfare make sure to tune in next time and thanks for checking us out at kingdom thinking